You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 151 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios and the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's show, a one-point heartbreaking loss for the Hokies to then rank number nine Miami on Saturday inside of Lane Stadium. What does it all mean for the Hokies? We answer that question on episode 151 of the Tech Sideline podcast that gets started right now. Whether you're watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher. So many great ways to consume the Tech Sideline Podcast. So glad you could join us as we record on Monday morning, November the 16th. We have our managing editor, Chris Coleman, with us on the podcast set, as well as our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. We've got Malcolm Stewart, the Tech Sideline Podcast producer behind the scenes, making the magic happen, and I am your podcast host, Evan Hughes. This week and every week, the Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free, at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or you can email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. Reminder, if you're watching live on YouTube this morning, we invite you to chime in in the chat. Feel free to write a comment, or if you have a question for Will or Chris, we will read them at the end of the show. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Episode 151 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. How was your weekend, and how are you doing? Not bad. Spent uh, about six hours in my garage yesterday. (laughs) So Monday Thoughts is going to be a little late today. (laughs) Chris Coleman, how are you? Normal weekend. I'm good. You know, here's a question for you guys. When Virginia Tech wins or loses, does it change the way the weekend goes for you? It used to. It doesn't anymore. Uh, I've actually, from a professional standpoint, I've enjoyed this season because, like, I've been able to detach myself emotionally because I'm not in the stadium around emotional people. I, I tweet a little bit during the game, but generally I don't read Twitter, don't read the responses, uh, don't read the boards very much at all. I just immediately start my column after the game. There's no outside noise for me, like, clouding my views on things it's just every here's what i think right um so i've actually in, enjoyed it to a certain from that standpoint uh like i'm able to take like so, sundays off completely this year so i'm thinking like 
the fan in me wants to go back and tailgate and go to games again. But at that point, when you do that, you don't have a single day off during the week. So I might just like, I might keep doing what I'm doing in future seasons, uh, just to have a week, a uh, day off on Sundays. But uh, anyway, that's besides. You'd have the point. a day off to work on your garage for five to six hours. Well, can, can you tell us a little bit about what you had to do in your garage yesterday? Was it fun stuff or was it work stuff? Uh, well, I'm I'm kind of weird. I, I like cleaning stuff up and making stuff look better. So I got pictures on my phone of the before and the after. Uh, you know, not to delve too far into it, but we're having a a closet, a storage closet built in our garage, which required us to consolidate stuff that's in front of both cars over in front of the one car where the garage, where the closet is not being built. Um, so to Chris's point, uh, my season hasn't really been any different. Um, it, it has been different from the standpoint that I've been in the press box. Um, I haven't been in the press box since uh, Frank's last year, 2015. And, uh, you know, we had Ricky LeBlue working up there for a couple of years and we have, we've had students doing it since then. But uh, with limited uh, media in the press box, they said they want the full-time paid employees of for-profit enterprises to be the ones that are in the press box. So that means no students. So I've had to go up there and, and work the games myself. And, and I've gone back and forth on, on staying after the game and participating in the post-game interviews. Uh, I think I did it for one of the games. How many home games have we had? Three? Four? Four. Four. I think for the first one, I, I participated in post-game interviews, but that, that's just not really my thing. That's not what I do. And we have students uh, like Jake Lyman uh, writes up all of the post-game quotes. I don't have particularly insightful questions to ask after the game. I just don't. You know, I haven't had the time to absorb everything yet. I think other media members are, are a lot better about that. I think they take notes and – and they decide which uh, athletes they want to request and what questions they want to ask the coach and things like that. That's just not my thing. So the last couple of games, I've actually just packed up and left right after the game was over. Um, but, you know, I, I helped put together the, the recap. Uh, Corey Van Dyke writes it up, and I'm the one who does all the graphics and the formatting and the embedding of the videos and tying it in all the schedules. I do all that. So I'm working all day Saturday, uh, a lot of the day Sunday, like I work every Sunday night and, and that gets, you know, particularly, particularly at my age, that, that gets pretty fatiguing after a while, especially when they don't have any weekends off, you know, they're just boom, 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 playing every weekend. Uh, so, um, you know, I think we've got three more games and, you know, I gotta be honest from, from a personal standpoint, it'll be nice to switch off the tap at that point in time. But the, to, to Chris's point, the emotion of it hasn't really been getting to me this year like it usually does. Um, and, and I don't know. It, that, it, I'm, I'm waffling on that statement because we do get subjected to that, that, that blast all day long on Twitter and all day long on, on the message boards. And, the, you know, it is getting – this isn't true of our subscriber board. Our subscriber board is, I think, has been pretty good about talking about things and discussing the issues. But you, you just can't be on Twitter and Facebook right now. Every single tweet, like every single tweet from the Hokie football Twitter account now, Hokies FB, the responses are fire Fuente, fire Fuente, fire Fuente, fire Cornelson, fire Cornelson. You know, they, they put up uh, Pete Morris tweets out yesterday. Uh, I don't know. One of the tech players in the NFL did something good and, it gets answered with fire Fuente, fire Fuente. You know, you just you just cannot you, you can't be escape on so it, and it's toxic and it puts you in a bad mood. And if you think recruiting is bad right right now, like 
recruits their window into the world is social media. Yeah. So they when when they get on there and see stuff like that, they're like, oh, all their fans want Fuente fired. I'm not going to Virginia Tech. Yeah, that so, knows what he just said. All their fans want Fuente fired. That's not true. Right. But you that's know. what it seems like on Twitter. The perception. Right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. So uh, it's a toxic situation. And honestly, it's not any fun to think about. But here we are. We're going to spend the next hour talking about it. So well, so so let me make a point while we're on the topic. Um, you know, you, and, th- and this is right off the top of my head. So don't at me if you disagree. But I was just sitting here thinking that, um, you know, the decision to let go of a coach is a little bit different decision these days than it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, the big donors drove the bus. And I don't think athletic directors had an insight into what the fan base was thinking as much as they do now. All they had to do is like just not open their mail if they wanted to ignore what the fans were thinking, right? And when the tide turns against you on social media, that can be a driver in whether or not to keep a coach because it, it uh, what's, what's, I'm looking for the proper phrase here, that changes the public perception of your program, as Chris just pointed out. So recruits, high school kids, are, are in general not on Twitter. They're on Instagram and Snapchat. But football players use it for recruiting. It's a big recruiting tool for them. You know, they put pictures up and they put video up. And that's that's how they really interface with coaches is through Twitter. So football recruits are on Twitter. So you as an athletic director have to make the judgment call. Man, I don't know. I, I, I The fans are one thing, but this is poison for, you know, outside perception and recruiting. In, in 20 years ago, an athletic director might not pull the trigger, but in this day and age, they'll pull it quicker. So South Carolina got rid of Will Muschamp, you know, over the weekend. Their last two games were 48-3. to they, they got pounded by Texas A&M, I think was the final score. And I watched uh, – I got a son that goes to South Carolina, so I watched their game Saturday night, and they just – they could not stop Ole Miss, you know. So they, they had given up 48 points last week and 59 this week, and – you know, they just pulled the plug. And he, here's the risk they run and the risk Virginia Tech would run yeah. if they made any coaching changes. And maybe I wouldn't realize this in a normal year where I'm, where I'm going to games and I'm around emotional people and, and everything like that. But this year, watching every single game by myself, I'm just more closed in. I feel like I'm thinking more rationally. But there's no guarantee there's going to be spring practice this year. Um, football season is getting played so athletic departments don't go under financially. Uh, spring practice brings in no revenue for anybody, and it's not competitive. Like, there are no games, right? Um, anybody who got COVID this fall after, what is it, 120 days, 90 days, or, or whichever one of those? I think it got changed to right. 120. Okay, so that, that wears off. So, so you got to get so, tested again. So you got you got to get all this testing again. You could lose half your team to COVID in March, right? Um, it would not shock me if there was no spring practice for anybody. So if you – I'm inclined to think they'll have it, but you at least have to – Consider the, consider, poss- the, consider the possibility that there will be no spring practice for anybody. Yeah. Or, or maybe even no spring practice for some states and, and, and spring practice for other states. Who yeah. the heck knows? Because as somebody pointed out in your Friday Q&A article, this, this, is, this can be a state-level and locality decision. Right. It's not an NCAA decision. Right. So, so if you think about 
<clears throat> if you fire a head coach, then you're you're changing an offensive system and a defensive system, and you're not going to have any spring practice to practice. That those new is systems. a possibility. So one of Florida State's issues this year is they change coaches in the off season, and they didn't have spring practice, right? LSU's defense change changed to change coordinators and offense. Did they really? Joe Brady left to be the Carolina oh, yeah, Panthers yeah, offense yeah. coordinator. Right, right. So LSU's not as good this year. And no spring practice with two new coordinators, right? Um, they've particularly fallen off on defense, which they're still better than Virginia Tech's defense, but by LSU standards, they are horrible. Yeah. Um, Virginia Tech's defense is, an, is obviously another example of what can happen when there's a new scheme and you don't get to practice it. Um, I mean, if Virginia Tech change head coaches right now, a new guy came in. I mean, recruits can't visit. Recruits can't visit, so you would not get to take advantage of the new car smell of of a new coaching staff and recruiting. And then, quite frankly, the product you put on the field next year would probably be a disaster because they wouldn't. Maybe they wouldn't get to practice the new schemes in the spring. And it's the same thing if you want Cornelson fired. You change offensive schemes and you don't get to practice it, then you'd have been, and you'd be be better off just keeping him. Once you got to the season next year, and you're like, oh my god, we're a disaster because we couldn't practice this offense in the spring. We should have just kept Cornelson. So, I, w- so I will say this though: what happened last March caught everybody with their pants down. If you so the season's going to end, you know uh, whether or not you go to a bowl game, I don't know. But when everybody comes back in January, the coaches are going to know that there's a possibility that spring practice might not happen. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's as good as having a spring practice, but there are things you can do to prepare for that eventuality. You know, you can at least have players go through drills somehow. I don't know. I don't don't want to get bogged down in the details of it. You can have Zoom meetings with them and accumulate film, and you can go over things in their heads. You can't do the physical reps. But at least you won't be sitting there on March 15th going, oh, crap, spring football just got canceled. You know, so it's, it's, it's a little different. It's still not good, though. Some of the topics we're talking about right now, maybe not having spring practice. That is mentioned in Chris's article, which is up on the homepage of TechSideline.com right now. CC on Sunday, titled Hendon Hooker's Development and the Future of Brad Cornelson. We will reference that throughout the podcast. But we will break down the game on Saturday inside of Lane Stadium, a one-point game. Then number 9 Miami, a 25-24 win over Virginia Tech. It's Virginia Tech's seventh straight lost against an AP top 10 program. The Hokies are now four and four on the season. Chris, let me start with you. One point loss. Tech now four and four on the season. What should we take away from the Miami game? You know, again, I don't think I learned anything new. I, I think it, it was different from the standpoint that the linebacker play and the defensive tackle play was a lot better. It was a lot better, but Miami only had seven offensive lines. And, and I have not had a chance to look and see, you know, we, we have our roster card with the projected starting right. lineup. I haven't had a chance to look and see who actually started for They Miami. were one test away on Friday night from not being able to play. Yeah. So Miami was down a bunch of players. So you got to so take that into account. You have account. to take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, that being said, it was like, I picked us to score 27 points, right? So if Brian Johnson made that 54-yard field goal or whatever that he attempted, uh, they would have scored exactly 55. the amount of points I would have predicted in the yeah. score. So, for, so from that standpoint, like I can't be too disappointed. But uh, the the way it went down was, was disappointing. 
I ran the numbers on, uh, you know, it did. Virginia Tech kicked a field goal with 6.14 to go in the third quarter. They were up 24 to 13. You felt like they were in charge. And a matter of fact, when they came back from the commercial, the, the, P, the play-by-play announcer said, you know, you just get the feeling that Virginia Tech has seized the momentum. And they didn't score again. And in their last five possessions, I ran the numbers last night, the Hokies gained 57 yards of offense. If you look in the drive chart, it'll tell you something different because there's penalties involved. They gained 57 yards of offense. They gained five first downs in their last five possessions, and two of those came off of Miami penalties, personal fouls and, and things like that because because that's Miami. <laughs> Zero gets a personal foul. <laughs> five Who is pos- the punter? <laughs> five possessions, 57 yards, three first downs that you got on your own, zero points, didn't cross midfield in the last four possessions. So, you know, guess guess who's in the crosshairs the rest of the weekend? <laughs> yeah. Offensive coordinator Brad Cornelson. Uh, Richie Gallimore actually <clears throat> tweeted at me minutes before the podcast, and he wanted to know, why did we only see three non-quarterback runs in the fourth quarter? Herbert, two carries, 11 yards. Robinson, a jet sweep for five yards. That's it in all caps for non-quarterback runs. Well, some of that is Hendon keeping the ball on on, on read options, you know, um, and, and scrambling off of passing plays. But, uh, you know, I, I, I am in the process of kind of analyzing everything because some of the criticism that came out, came out during the game were um, the play calling on third and intermediate six and seven, five, six, seven yards to go. Um, I noticed Andy Bitter tweeting during the game that when Tech got down to that, down on Miami's side of the field, in, in like the 35 to 40-yard line where you're just starting to come into field goal range, that they started struggling at that point. There were also criticisms of Raheem Blackshear not catching punts. Yeah. So I'm working on that. Um, personnel decisions with Jalen Holston running the way he was running. Oh. Why were they running Raheem Blackshear? So I, I think the book is getting out on Blackshear. And and one of the things that I'll put in my article is, did you notice the toss sweep in this game? I don't think we'd seen that this year. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it, it's the old school toss sweep where the quarterback – steps back and kind of throws that underhand toss out to the perimeter. They ran that with Blackshear, I think, three times. It wasn't very successful. And they ran it with Khalil Herbert once as well, I think, to put down on film. We're not just necessarily not going to do this, only going to do this with Blackshear. But So Blackshear, you know, they got him out in space a little bit or they made an effort, but they also ran him up the middle a lot, and he's just not good at that. This was Justin Fuente's opening statement in the press conference on Saturday. He said, quote, I feel better about our football team than at any point. We're not happy with not winning the ball game, but my gosh, did our guys lay it on the line today, close quote. Chris, what did you make of what he had to say post-game? I generally ignore what most coaches say post-game because, you know, uh, if you've ever covered a game, you know, especially like an NCAA tournament game, a big game, and you get the official printouts and they give you the timing of all the post-game interviews and things like that. And there's always like a 15-minute what they call cool-down session. Right, because as emotional as we are as fans, most most of us during games, I mean, it's even more so for coaches and players, yeah. right? So they're 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 way more emotionally invested than any of us. So honestly, you you put guys in front of a microphone after an emotional win or an emotional loss, and you don't necessarily know what's going to come out come out of their mouth. Like uh, like Fuente's always been much much better on Tech Talk Live. 
Um, he's really comfortable around John Laser, of course. But and he's had a day. He's to had a day to, to process it, watch the film, and everything yeah. like that. Uh, I mean, no, he's he's not wrong. I mean, name me one thing about that statement that's wrong about. Tech oh, I, I thought a lot of his post game comments were were very calculated at at complimenting the players' Correct. effort. Absolutely, but sounded I mean, very. I'm, I'm not saying yeah. he's wrong. Right, right. It's not a criticism. Right. You can just tell that that was it's, his agenda when he got in front of the mic. It's the same thing as like. Uh, I don't know. I wrote in my article yesterday. Is like, he's right. It doesn't mean that the loss still isn't discouraging, though. Yeah. So like, I mean, every time Virginia Tech lost a football game back in the day, or they get into a bad stretch, or somebody would question the offense. I mean, Frank Beamer would get on Tech Talk Live and say, "Oh, we were one block away. Uh, we we just lost our leverage on this play, on a play here and a play there, and, and you know, blah blah blah." That's what he said every time after a loss, and he was right most of the time. Uh, it didn't make. But why it does any, this keep happening? It, right, right. It just it didn't make it any less discouraging. So uh, I don't. Honestly, I don't think. I don't. I think a lot of fans think that uh, that what coaches say in front of a microphone after a game is what they say to players and other coaches and team yeah. meetings and things like that. And it, it's not. Trust me, I know it's not. I, I have heard a lot of stuff through various people about stuff Justin Fuente says when he's not in front of a microphone after games <laughs> and it's nothing like it's nothing like the stuff that that, that gets reported so uh I, I don't I don't think much much about it at all to be honest with you so as we analyze the game typically we start with the offense but I thought today breaking down the 25-24 win for Miami over Virginia Tech we start with the defense for yeah. well because as you said the linebackers the defensive line played much better we kind of touched on this to begin with, but my first question to you about the defense is, given the stats that Dax Hollyfield had, he led the team in tackles with 13, Ashby in double digits in tackles, Gerard Hewitt, two and a half sacks, so much good. How much of that gets overshadowed by the fact that Miami was out? They're starting left tackle, they're starting left guard, and as Chris said... So you know who one. they were out. Yeah, you, you did the research. They were one. You said, Chris, they were one <laughs> offensive lineman away their, from not being. It was their right guard who was the big, big issue. I thought. Well, I remember 51. going in. Their center is the worst grading offensive right. lineman on their team. Right. right. Um, so wow. So, so credit yeah. to the the defense, or does that get overshadowed given the circumstances? Well, you know, you, you can't you can't minimize what right. the defense like linebackers um, are. Unless the offensive line is getting to the second level, linebackers aren't really affected much by the offensive line. Anybody who you – you don't have to be an astute football observer to watch that game and think Dax Hollyfield played – for Dax, played a really good game. I, I haven't confirmed this on PFF, but I'm pretty sure that that was the, his best game of his career, which two years in a row, man. Like about halfway through last season when Tisdale was clearly outplaying him, I was like, look, it's got to be Tisdale. He's just better. And then Dax was much, much better in the second half of the season and outperformed Tisdale in the second half of the season. This year, you know, last week, gosh, Dax hasn't been good this year, and he was particularly bad last week. And I texted – I'll admit this. I texted somebody after the game, maybe even you. <laughs> and I said, I said, I think Dax is the worst starting linebacker we've ever had since I've been covering the team. And then he comes out the next week and see you're getting play. into Lindell Gibson and Jake Johnson territory, uh, nah, man. <laughs> nah, but uh, I uh, he comes out the next week and has the best game of his career. I know. So I don't know what to expect. But and that and that's the thing. If you're a coach, right? It's maddening. How do you know what to expect when your player can play 
I think he probably played the second worst game of his career against Liberty behind the UNC game, and then he turns that around with the best game of his career. You just don't know. So what's it was, it was he had thirteen tackles, which was a career high. It, right. Yeah. Well, his tackling was so much better. Yeah. Um, he he was just playing. I think more, I saw him miss physical. one tackle. Right, and uh, to your point about to the point about the offensive lineman being out. Uh, yes, it most certainly helped Tech. Uh, at the same time. Like Liberty pushed him around last week, the week before, and and I know those were Miami's backups, but Liberty starters should not be as good as Miami's backups, right? So yes, Tech played much much better this week than they did last week against Liberty. I'm glad, but at the same time, I'm still frustrated. I'm more frustrated to be honest with you, and I I think I closed my my Liberty article saying. You know what? I, I wouldn't be all. I'm not picking Tech to beat Miami, but I wouldn't be that all that surprised if they did. And but, it but, but but if they do, that's just going to make the Liberty loss even more frustrating. Right. Well, Tech didn't beat Miami, but the sentiment is still sort of the same. All right. Uh, Will sticking with the defense, I'm going to give you three players. You got to tell me who had the bigger day on Saturday. All right. Hollyfield led the team in tackles with 13. Ray Shart Ashby. Seemed like a bounce-back day after getting hurt against Liberty. 11 tackles tied for second for most on the team in the loss. Or Gerard Hewitt with two and a half sacks. Who had the biggest day of the three? Uh, I would say Hewitt did. Uh, he was consistently disruptive. He was in the backfield. Um, you know, uh, and, and I actually went over all this stuff. That That's a... It's not a career high in, in tackles for loss. It's a season high in sacks and tackles for loss. He had he had two point five sacks, two point five tackles for loss. Uh, he had three at some point in another game. Um, so uh, definitely his his best effort of the season. And I just think <clears throat> they both had really good games. But I think when a defensive tackle has a really good game, it's just way much more disruptive to an offense. Uh, when when the D tackles are playing well, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I really liked the game plan from Tech defensively. You know, we came into the game uh, knowing that Derek King was really good. He burn a blitz, right? Yeah. So you can't you can't just pin your ears back and blitz that guy all day. Tech mixed things up really well. Uh, I know at least one of Hewitt's. Uh, Sacks came on a twist stunt At least, w- yeah. w- with the defensive end. Uh, Tech did blitz, but they didn't blitz heavy. They picked their spots. Um, they mixed man and zone in the back end. I, I just thought it was a good mix. Fuente said after the game, we threw the kitchen sink at him. Yes. And uh, I think a lot of times when coaches make say that, it means, oh, we blitzed a lot. That's not the case here. Tech just did a whole lot of different things. Oh, I saw Narelle Pollard drop into coverage one right, time. Right, right, right. So they had, which, which is common, but yeah. So that was a uh, that was a mentally challenging game for the Tech defense because they were asked to do a whole lot of things, and 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 they they did a really they executed good job it really well. Yeah, you know, well, I I felt like going from the Liberty game to the Miami game, and I know this is lost, but I felt like somebody who was a real winner from the day was Justin Hamilton. And and kind of going off of Chris's point, I thought the game plan was exceptional. Is it fair to say that might have been his best game as defensive coordinator? Well, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure your average fan is going to pick up on that. I think your average fan is like, oh, the players played you, well. Your average fan is obsessed with firing Brad Cornelson right now. Well, so, that's so true. There's, they're, there's they're not talking about Justin they're, Hamilton. Yeah, right, right. You sure. know, and, and and he took a beating last week. Not not as bad as Cordell's taken this week. <laughs> but you know, Hamilton got some criticism last week. But I, I think he had a really good game. Chris talked about, 
you know, and so many of the players played so well too. You know, better than they usually play. And, and oh my I, gosh, I was so re- Brown Murray again. He got benched against Liberty because he got burned on that opening drive. Yeah. And he, honestly, he hasn't played well this year. And then he comes out with the best game of his career yeah. against Miami. The yeah. deflection so, on the pass in the end good, zone. Good in oh, coverage. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just like, man, I, I wish I knew which one of these guys was going to be reliable on a week-to-week basis. Even Armani Chapman. How about that? Uh, there was a one-on-one ball down the middle. Yeah, of the field. Right. He, I yep. mean, he had a decent game as well. So, and, and, and can we get the offense and the defense to show up for the same game? <laughs> so, again, there was a lot. To, again, uh, Dax Hollyfield, 13 tackles. Ashby with 11 tackles. Devin Taylor, 11 tackles uh, in this so, game. So, by the way, I did a little bit of research last night, and I'll put this in my article today. Dax and Ashby led the team in tackles, and that is the first time since Miami a, a game in 2018. That both linebackers? It's it's not necessarily both linebackers because there were other games where Ashby and Tisdale last year led the team in tackles. Right. But this is the first time that Dax and Ashby have led the team, have been 1-2 in tackles. I can't remember the game in 2018. It was about midway through the 2018 season. Last thing on the defense, then we'll transition to the offense. Jermaine Waller did not play this past week against Miami. He has only played against North Carolina and Liberty. Of course, about a year ago, Caleb Farley and Jermaine Waller were two of the best cornerback combos in the ACC. They might have even been the best in the country this year. Of course, Farley opted out for the draft. Waller's only played twice this year. Chris, should we expect Waller to be available down the stretch? And what should we make of, of what's – he's been battling an injury this he's year, He's played correct? in two out of eight games. One early in the season, one fairly recently. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to play anymore or not. But even if he does, it doesn't matter. He's not the same player. I don't mean to make this sound the way it's going to sound, but when it comes to the defense, I don't think of him anymore. I don't he's, think – you're right. He's not right. on my radar. He's on the moon to me. It's like I uh, think about Murray. I think about Dorian Strong. You know, look, if he shows up and he plays well, okay. But he just he's just kind of uh, – He's not the same player he was. I mean, as, and you wouldn't expect. Right. I believe it's a foot injury he's been dealing with. Foot, foot injury. Um, I, I think they've changed their tune, though. He came back from the foot injury, and he now has an upper body injury. Of course. That's, and what do you expect? Listen, this is – it was – I know you're trying to get better defensively, but, he, you know, he had that foot surgery in the offseason and then was home because of COVID and couldn't get the proper treatment for rehab and everything like that. So he came back still hurt, even though he had the surgery. Not 100% in shape. Couldn't practice very much in August. They throw him out there against North Carolina and play him basically the whole game. And Buzz Williams understood that. Buzz Williams had the kinesiology degree, where if you're not 100% over one injury, you were going to stress a different, even subconsciously, you were going to stress a different part of your body protecting the injured part of your body so he's protecting his foot because he's not a hundred percent and pulls a growing as a result right so they, so, they, so they played me, him too many snaps too soon so let me jump in here and say old folks get this because one of their hips for example will start to go bad so they'll start favoring that hip and then they'll get hip replacement surgery on that hip mm-hmm. and then they'll realize they've been busy ruining the other the hip the other hip favoring the bad hit. Right. You know? so, so old people and football players, athletes. So they brought him back way too early. Quite frankly, in a game, Tech had no chance to win. Yeah. Uh, I just, 
we could have a whole conversation about some of the medical decisions Tech has made, and this goes back to the Beamer era, like playing Ricky Walker. After he got hurt against Florida State a couple of years ago, they, they they started him and played him against William and Mary the next week in a game, in a game they, they were going to win. In a game they were going to win, in a game they didn't need him. And within five or six snaps, boom, he's out again, and he's on crutches on the sideline. And he was not the same player the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, and – it arguably cost Tech at least one football game that year. Um, I, just, I want to see better decisions going forward when it comes to stuff like that. And we we don't know where where the breakdown is, or you know, is it the players being untruthful? Is it the medical staff not doing a good job? Is it coaches pushing players back before they should? And Chris and I don't know that. We don't know why did Deshaun Crawford play two snaps against NC State and then basically not sh- not be able to play for weeks, right? You know, now, as we talked about previously, Deshaun said, that's my fault. Well, okay, players are going to... Sometimes and, and, you have to protect and, a player from, from the, himself. And I said on our message boards, it works both ways. There have been players that have been ready to play and then have said they're not. Mm-hmm. And Damon Hazleton is a classic example of that. Well, I guess. Here's the thing. If you're Damon Hazleton, you saw firsthand <laughs> what happened to Ricky Walker the year before. Right? So... Yeah. Again, uh, so we don't know because we're not there. I, I we're think, not there I think every there's day. a disconnect there, and I think there's a lot of things in our football program that have to be taken. I mean, everybody like it's easy to sit there and say, like, "Oh, that play call was wrong," so that's why we lost the game. But we lost the game because all our players are always hurt, or they're just some of them on defense just aren't big enough, or or are too big in in one case. Uh, some guys aren't dedicated in the uh, weight room. Uh, Some are. Right. right. Uh, t- I mean, or maybe it's because our quarterbacks aren't developing. Look, I mean, people talk about uh, – I know the play people want to criticize is the third and seven run with Hendon Hooker, right? Uh, here's the thing. Hendon Hooker is, is a really good quarterback in great situations. Like when Tech is running the ball and they're in front of the chains. In bad situations, he's, he's not a good quarterback. Third and seven – I mean, look, there's enough evidence now that we know that Hendon Hooker is not a good quarterback in situations where the other team knows Virginia Tech is going to throw the ball. So Virginia Tech's coaches know that. So when they run the ball with him on third and seven, it's to try to pick up four yards, and they were at the position on the field where they can go for it on fourth down. And and either a coach or Kelly Stouffer, the, the, the analyst, made that comment during the right. game. He said that play call is not about getting the first right, down. Right. It's about it's getting – right closer and trying for right which it didn't work but like asking Hendon to drop back and pass on third and long is a low percentage play because he's not good at it and let me say it's not all his fault the wide receivers are not getting separation well let me go back to my point okay so that's a that's it's not a bad play call based on hooker strengths so my issue with Cornelson is not a play call my issue is why is Hendon Hooker not developed to the point where uh, you have to call a running play on third and seven, yeah. right? That's my issue with Cornelson is, is he a quarterback developer? Um, and I know he did not have spring, spring practice. practice. Um, but if, if you look back at his past quarterbacks at Tech, you know, Willis dropped off a cliff. Jackson was kind of the same guy when he, in his second year before he got hurt. I, I just I just don't see – quarterbacks developing from one year to the next under him and, and there's not enough evidence there with hooker because they didn't have spring practice but there's enough evidence there with the two guys before him 
So that that's my worry. Like Cornelson would be able to call like Cornell's Cornelson's options are limited on that play because Hooker's not a good passer unless Tech's ahead of the chains and they're running the football really well. But that might also be Cornelson's fault that Hooker's not developed to the point where he has more options, more play options to call on third down. There has been consistency on the coaching on the offensive side of the ball for the last five years. There has not been, you know, on on, on the defensive side. Uh, and I'll just leave that out there. This, you know, people talk about the, the, there's the 50,000-foot view. This is Justin Fuente's fifth year, and they're 4-4 four and four with a loss to Liberty. And then you start drilling down into the minutia of, oh, they're just starting over on defense, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they're not starting over on offense. This this staff, with a couple of changes, has been here. They've been recruiting to this system and developing within this system for five years now. Well, you, know, you, you get into your article again, CC on Sunday, Hennon Hooker's development in the future of Brad Cornelson, transition now defense to offense. I think we could wrap this up here. Listen. I, we You talk about the boards and Twitter and how negative it can be, and there's no doubt that it feels like for years, it feels like Brad Cornelson gets all of this flack on social media, and especially in the last couple of weeks. Keep in mind, this is an offense, and Khalil Herbert, who at one point was leading the country in rushing yards per game, an offense that was putting up high 30s, low 40s. Simple question, is the criticism from the fan base fair on Brad Cornelson? Uh, I'll answer it this way a couple of different ways. Number one, that is the life of the offensive coordinator. <laughs> Because as we've said a million times, if the play works, it's a great play call. If it doesn't work, it's a terrible play call. And, and that's how most fans react. Most fans, uh, me included, can't really break stuff down X, X's and O's. So that's the life of an offensive coordinator, even when things are going well. Um, the, 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 the criticism, as you see it amplified through social media, is probably um, a little bit too harsh. Um, because you're right. I sit there and I, throughout the course of a game, I watch the game and it's common to say, man, that was a really nice play car. Did you see that play design? That was nice. Yeah. But then you get down to the end of the game and five possessions, zero points. You barely get on the other, the other side of the field, you know, and, and that's the 50,000 foot view, you know, without getting bogged down in the details. The guy, the guy does some things well. He's not a complete train wreck. We've seen complete train wrecks at offensive coordinator for Virginia Tech. <laughs> he can actually design an offense around the strengths and weaknesses of his I know. He, right? he, he does a pretty good job getting the most out of his players. Um, there, there's, there's a little something missing there. Right. You, you look at the points uh, as you're – NC State, 45 points. Duke, 38 points. North Carolina, 45 points. Boston College, 40 points. 16 to Wake Forest, 42 points Louisville, 35 points Liberty, 24 points Miami. Yeah, yeah. uh – I think the criticism is fair, but it's misplaced. Um, Virginia Tech's entire offense is, is – remember when they changed – basically changed offenses between Willis and Hooker last year when they made that switch. Yeah. And I think we see now why they were hesitant to put Hooker in there because he's just not an advanced passer at all. So the whole offense is designed to protect his weaknesses. And – he doesn't have many, but the one he has is a massive, massive flaw. Like, he has no internal clock in the passing game. He's slow to read defenses. So when you get behind and the other team knows you're going to throw it, you're in an awful lot of trouble. So Virginia Tech's entire offensive scheme is designed to try to keep them out of keep that, that situation. Yeah. But if they do get behind and you have to go to that, you're done. 
So he's Cornelson's been great at protecting Hooker's weaknesses, but you, there are sometimes when those weaknesses flat out are going to be exposed. So I think for for what his goal for trying to make the most the offense most efficient as possible under Hooker, he's done a great job. Now where I criticize him is well why why hasn't why hasn't Hooker or past Virginia Tech quarterbacks why 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 didn't they take a step forward throughout the course of their career in the passing game? Mm-hmm. I think if Hendon Hooker has had advanced more since his enrollment at Virginia Tech, if he was a more advanced passer at this stage, then you know you don't have to do as much of that. You you don't have to protect him as much. Uh, you don't have to use the smoke and mirror approach as as much as you do. And you put yourself in a position where you you you're able to call more a more a wider variety of plays and things like that. So I think Cornelson, from an offensive coordinating standpoint, is fine. From a quarterback coaching standpoint, I I, I have some serious doubts. starting to wonder. Yeah. Okay, so uh, um, if you look at what was working earlier in the year, Khalil Herbert was 100 percent healthy. I still don't think he was on Saturday. No, and no and the running game was working very well. And and you know you'd have to go do a deep dive into the numbers, but keeping Tech generally out of third and long. And if you look at Saturday's game, Jalen Phillips lived in in Virginia Tech's backfield Saturday. He disrupted a lot of stuff. Four and a half tackles for loss, I think, and two you and a half sacks. So so Gerard Hewitt was on his way to getting defensive lineman of the week, but but Jalen <laughs> Phillips happened. Yeah. You know he. He as 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 Mark Packer says, he he ate Luke Tenuta's lunch, you know. So you've got that going on, and and it tends to put you behind the chains some, and 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 it puts Tech in an uncomfortable position offensively. And that's that's just the difference. That's what was working earlier in the season that wasn't working Saturday. Yeah, you bring up a couple of things on the offensive side. First of all, Khalil Herbert again returned the opening kickoff against Liberty, injured his hamstring, didn't play the rest of the game. Only had eight carries. For 49 yards in the game against Miami. Played well, but you could tell he wasn't 100%. Yeah. And we're getting a question actually in the chat, which leads me to my next point. This is from Ryan B. Any thoughts on why Holston wasn't used more for early down situations? None Black whatsoever. On third down? And look, look, real quick before we jump in, Jalen Holston, the third string running back, four carries, 36 yards, two touchdowns, arguably the biggest game of his career. And, and one of his carries was limited because it was a one-yard touchdown. Right. Who knows how right. – well, then again, it was Miami defended pretty well and tackled him right there. It, it was so interesting. Four carries, and the, they all came in the exact same situation. He threw a great block for a quarterback, either Hendon or Quincy, and then he got rewarded – by two straight carries, the second of which went for a touchdown. In the, both in times. The red zone. Both times. That, that, that's how it went down both times. He was running hard, and he was running violently too, man. That, that dude was running hard, and he was taking people out. And I and I tweeted, I said, he got rewarded for those good blocks with, with, with carries. And, and I had actually Caleb Farley like that tweet and like a couple other players and, and things like that, or former players. So, like, football players recognize stuff like that. Like, he deserved to get rewarded. So, I was I was disappointed that, you know, once Virginia Tech, they were up 21-13. to 13. They tried to run the ball on their, on their next drive. Hooker took a sack, and they had to settle for a, football, uh, for a field goal. Um, but I was, was disappointed that with just the way he was running the ball that he didn't get more carries. Now, that being said, there was – 
there was talk on the boards, and I haven't gone back and watched the tape. That's why we pay Brandon Patterson the big bucks. I'm sure he'll address this in his article tomorrow. Um, there was there were there was some uh, some talk on the boards that at one point Miami was even lining up like six guys on the defensive line or five. Like a bare, I didn't see a like whole a lot of that. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of that. I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch it. Um, but in theory, yes, uh, I think. Uh, I think you reward the guy. I mean, at that point, he's win- you're winning the game because of him. Now give him a chance to win it in the fourth quarter. Well, and, and, and it gets back to that thing of we don't know what they see in practice. Puente, in his comments where he praised Holston, he did say, and we talked to him about ball security, but, yeah, he ran great. So what right. are they seeing in practice? Well, that that, that, it... that's that's the thing. A lot of the, a lot of times you see those big violent runs. That's when guys fumble, yeah. right? Because because they're they're just moving so fast and they're just not. And, and, not and for, for a guy to get playing time and get get carries, the coaches have to trust him. Right. So why don't they trust him? Anyway, yeah. Wait, r- briefly, would you like to see more of Jalen Holston in the offense moving forward? If if Herbert's not healthy, uh, I, yes, I would. Yeah. Yes, I, I agree with that. I, I think again. Give Blackshear more more of a perimeter role, which which they they did a fair amount of Saturday. And yeah, they, they put too much on that poor guy. Yeah, I, mean, he's I, just, I know I know he's a smart guy, but he he was working in August. He was working fifty percent at running back, fifty percent at wide receiver. Then COVID struck, and they were cross training him on defense. And then he was out ten to fourteen days to COVID related issues. He came back. They played him too much. Again, played somebody too much when they hadn't been practicing and they weren't in shape. And he got hurt. And so it was just this – so many bad things happened to him, you know, when he first got here. And it was a new offensive system, and he didn't have the spring, blah, of course. Tetter, tetter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so just feel terrible for him. Uh, I, I don't know – I honestly don't know where I'd use him. I, I mean, I, he, he did his most damage at Rutgers in the passing game, but what do we what do we just say about him and Hooker? He's right. not a very good passer. So – he doesn't often get to the check down reads. Exactly. So that'd be a wheel route or something like that. Exactly. So it's just Blackshear's strength, main strength, does not match up with Hendon Hooker's strength. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate. Numbers in the uh, in the rushing game for Virginia Tech. Hendon Hooker, fifty nine yards on the ground. Of course, his fifty uh, three yard touchdown run was kind of the highlight of the day for the. Well, how, game. how many how many yards did he lose? He lost fifty three. He gained one hundred twelve. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. Uh, 59 net yards, I should say. 49 yards for Herbert. Uh, Jalen Holston, 36 yards. And then Quincy Patterson had a rush for nine yards. Uh, Raheem Blackshear, six carries for a net of two yards. Jeez, really? Yeah, that's so, brutal. Uh, Receiving-wise, Trey Turner, another solid game through the air. Five receptions, 86 yards. Tavion Robinson caught five passes. Caleb Smith had a 30-yard reception. So those were a couple numbers in the offense. We do need to take a break in just a moment. But last thing. Will, what was the defensive end for Miami? Who played well on Saturday? You said it was Jalen Phillips. And and Chris, what was the other defensive end's name that we did not hear a lot of on Saturday? Quincy Roche. And that is because? Christian Derisaw did a really good job. So that was, I thought, one of the highlights of the game. By the way, really well done. We did that in sync there. I didn't know where we were going. That worked well. (laughs) Uh, But Christian Derisaw, we talked about it. I was really excited for this matchup of two potential NFL defensive ends going up against two tackles. Phillips got the best of Tenuta, right. but I hardly heard Quincy Roche's yeah, name. It right. felt like Darisaw really held the up. Preliminary the preliminary grades for for Darisaw were, were solid. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, he helped himself out. Did, did you look at Tenuta's grade? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, uh, can you give us a ballpark uh, range? So here, here's the thing. Like, uh, 
the Tech offensive line, with the exception of Tenuta, their pass blocking pass blocking was pretty good, were really good. Yeah. Um, so like every one of those sacks were either caused by Luke Tenuta or Hendon Hooker holding the ball entirely too yeah, long. Yeah. yeah, and there there were some, there were some blitzes there there too. And last thing to mention. Uh, James Mitchell was listed as active. He was not one of the players listed before the game. He was inactive, but he did not uh, catch a pass. Five uh, snaps. Five, five snaps. Is that all? Wow. So one thing to keep an eye on moving forward. All right. We need to take a break here on episode 151 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, an interesting hat from David Hale on the last 36 games for Virginia Tech against FBS programs. You're not going to want to miss this stat as we discuss. You're listening and watching to episode 151 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back into episode 151 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Evan Hughes here with Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing as always Tech Sideline Podcast each and every show presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Will has the shirt for this year. Of course, if you want to support Virginia Tech Wrestling, go to southeastrtc.com and you can help support Virginia Tech Wrestling. Look at that shirt, Will. A little dry fit. Sweet, man. I had to give it. To, I give it to. Shirt. Yeah, as we've as we've discussed before, I had to. I had to give it to Malcolm because, at my age and my current weight, I don't wear a white shirt like this. <laughs> one of these clingy white things. <laughs> so, very nice. So, if you uh, donate to the Southeast Regional Training Center, you'll get this very cool shirt. Now, be aware you're going to have to be ready to talk wrestling if you're wearing this thing out and somebody sees you. You know, you better come correct, man. You better, you, you know. It's, <laughs> They're going to expect you to know what here's you're talking a hint. First you, of all, donate. Yeah. <laughs> Second of all, pay some attention and, and be able to talk about it. Here's the talking point. If you're wearing that shirt, you can talk about how Tony Roby just signed another incredible recruiting class. Yeah, small class, but really good. So, uh, Tech Sideline Podcast also presented by Campus Emporium and, of course, Southeast Regional Training Center. Yeah. All right, so in just a little bit, we're going to get to your questions on YouTube. If you're watching live, you have a question for Will and Chris. Drop them in the chat and I will read them in just a moment. But yesterday I woke up, was reading Twitter and, uh, you know, try and follow as many media professionals as I can. And I came across a tweet from David Hale, who does an incredible job of covering the ACC. And I wanted to get your thoughts and perspective off of this stat that he pointed out on Twitter yesterday. It reads, Justin Fuente was 15 and 5 in his first 20 games against FBS opponents at Virginia Tech. In the 36 since then, the Hokies are 17-19, and 19, including losses to Old Dominion, Duke by 35, and Liberty. VT has eight losses in that span in games it was tied or ahead in the fourth quarter. Frank Beamer's last 36 games against FBS opponents, 19-17. and 17. What are your thoughts when you hear all of those numbers? Well, I remember at the end of the Beamer tenure, yeah, that was a frustrating part. We were Tech was a 500 football team, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then Justin Fuente gets here, and bam, we're not. We're winning 10 games and nine games, and everybody's like, woohoo. Coming within a whisker of, of winning an ACC championship. Exactly. And now where Tech is basically right there where they were when Beamer retired in terms of wins. I, yeah, I don't know. There's a whole lot you can. Yeah. That, that tweet stands alone. And I think any further commentary on it will just delve into coach bashing. Right. <laughs> the tweet speaks for itself. It was, I, I had trouble trying to formulate a question off that more. So it's a statement. Just, <laughs> hey, listen know, to this. <laughs> it was it was an interesting thought. And, uh, you know, yeah. It's a, it's so, a really- you know, I, I used to point out stuff like that in my articles. I, I would. I would, you know, it, from 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 like 2012 when Tech started to suddenly lose a lot more football games. Yeah, I, I would take slices of history like that. Well, I used to do uh, like in the last part of the Beamer era, we were so horrible at home. Tech was so horrible at home. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I was like, I just want to win home games again. And then Fuente gets here in that first year, we go like six and one at home oh, or something dude, like that. I'm like, finally, we're winning home pounding games. teams. At right? Home, yeah, man. exactly. <laughs> uh, the interesting one I found yesterday, I put it in my article. You know, it popped into my head when 0-2 Nebraska was playing 0-3 Penn State, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I remember in 1999 when it was, Florida State was number one all year. and you Penn know, State was, was up there. Two. And I'm just I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, I'm pretty sure Penn State was in that group. I think they, they started were. out like 8-0. And then I know Nebraska finished number three because I know we were waiting on the result of the Nebraska game on that last day when, when Tech beat Boston College. Yeah. And sure enough, I looked it up and like – Florida State was was number one from end to end. Tech finished number two. Uh, Nebraska finished number three. Penn State was as high as number two, right. I think, at one point. Yeah. And those four teams now are a combined seven and fifteen. And Virginia Tech is responsible for over half the wins. I know Virginia it's, Tech's got four of those seven wins. That's amazing. And the only reason Nebraska has a win is because they played they Penn, Penn State. State. <laughs> Maybe not the only reason, but no, that's, that's pretty where, much that's where the they only got reason. it from. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite stats yeah. you put in your article actually huh. this week. Was was uh, the stats you threw in Tennessee there? T- too, Tennessee is also to. two and four this year, and they. I think they got up as high as number three. They were year. coming off a national championship. They in were coming off a national. They championship. won the ninety-eight national yeah. championship. It's so it's just like. Phil Fulmer. My gosh. Who's now uh, the AD at Tennessee? The, the, all those schools have like double the resources of Virginia Tech. And I'm not saying we have an excuse of losing the Liberty, but. You got misery. Because we don't. But like there's no way Penn State should be 0 4. Like for all this, all this like praise that Franklin gets for recruiting, well, apparently it all he forgot to recruit a quarterback during that whole thing. Apparently that's the problem, and his offensive coordinator is not able to compensate for it. Well, keep in mind their offensive coordinator just left. It's a new offensive oh, coordinator because uh, the new the old yeah, OC is they, now the head coach at Old go. Dominion, so, taking so, over so, for Bobby. That, that's a good point, and they, so they didn't have the spring with a new offense. And I'll point out, uh, there's still a perception amongst Tech fans that Fuente's twelve and a half million buyout is a lot of money. That's if you're still thinking in 1990s terms, which yes. I think the fan base does in everything. We always think in 1990s terms. Yeah. It's not. It's nothing. James Franklin's buyout is $38.5 million. $38 million. I mean, Justin Fuente's buyout is perfectly normal for a college coach these yeah. days. So last thought before we get to questions on YouTube. Again, this comes from Evan Hughes scrolling on Twitter yesterday and going through and saw that Dan Wolken wrote an article for USA Today. And he wrote an opinion piece that was headlined this, and I gave it a read. It's an opinion that says, Virginia Tech has become the college football team that can't close the deal. Kind of talks about Virginia Tech and 
couple of it's 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 a it's about a two minute read. I skimmed it. Reason I bring it up is because every now and then you see a national article written, whether it's USA Today or something on the Hokies. Fifty thousand foot view from a national perspective, Will. What do you think the perception is from a national perspective of Virginia Tech football? And does that align with the expectation of the Virginia Tech football fan base? I think that the national perception is that the program in terms of wins and losses isn't as good as it should be. Remember uh, Kirk Herbstreet last year? I think it was after the Duke loss last year when Herbstreet basically, you know, and I don't, by the way, I think this is incorrect. Herbstreet said, I just don't think Fuente fits the culture there. Um, so that that was the first indication to me that somebody nationally was going, man, what's wrong in Blacksburg? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to answer the exact question you asked. Um, I think there's still a perception that, that Virginia Tech has a, has a lot of potential as a program and should be doing better. Um, I'm not sure that perception is wrong. Um, we're down in the minutiae, and we know that they've fallen behind in some areas and, and facilities and staffing. They got caught with their pants down. And unfortunately, these are things that happen. They unfold over five or ten years. And then when you realize your pants are around your ankles, it takes you five or ten years to pull them back up. <laughs> yeah. So next thing you know, 20 years have gone by. And you're Virginia Tech basketball. You haven't won games for 20 years. That That's a reference to 1987 to 2003 when Virginia Tech just didn't win basketball games. Um, I'm just rambling, trying to say interesting things at this point. So I, I actually don't know if there is a perception. Like mm-hmm. I bet your average college football fan doesn't even know what Virginia Tech's record is right now. Uh, I know that Virginia like, Tech just doesn't get talked about anymore. I don't know Kansas State's record. I know so, they're having so, a pretty good year. I think. Are they really? Yeah, okay, really I think. Tough. But I, but I mean, I don't know. Right. Because I don't care. How, what's Boise and State's so record? I, ju- I just, I think, I think the perception is Virginia Tech right now nationally is a ho hum. I don't care how they're doing. Well, so, me, so I think they're in the same group with Kansas State and Boise State teams that were really good in the past, but uh, nobody's really paying attention right. to them right yeah. now. There we go. Robert chimes in. Kansas State is four and two. Thank you, Robert. Okay, not bad. I did know they actually they beat a big team earlier in the year. I forget, uh, West Oklahoma. Virginia, maybe. Oklahoma. That's right. Oh, Remember they were down by like oh. thirty. So the wind, the wind came sweeping down, down the plane and came back. Yeah. yeah. So again, interesting perspective, really good podcast so far. And you know what? The best part hasn't even gotten here yet. When we get to check in with the, uh, the viewers <laughs> the here on tech sideline time for some questions. Uh, we will dive in. Yes. Thank you, Justin, Oklahoma. Yep. Everyone's see our YouTube chat knows what's going on with Kansas state. So that just means we need to keep up with the wildcats. So, all right. If you have a question, even if you haven't dropped one in yet, go ahead and do it now. I'm going to start at the top. Go all the way at the bottom. Question from Justin Thomas. I'm assuming not the golfer Justin Thomas, who I thought was going to win the Masters this weekend. Still shot very well. Justin asks, going to get the question out of the way early. Does the Will Muschamp firing change anything with Whit Babcock's office with respect to Coach Fu's future? So uh, I think, who, who was it that fired their coach about three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago? Utah State. Utah State. That didn't really register on the national consciousness, though. And I don't even know the details of it. So let's put that aside. The Will Muschamp firing is hashtag first. An athletic director actually went there and did that. And that changes. I think that changes how other athletic directors around the country. I don't think anybody wanted to be first in COVID year. No. (laughs) And, you know. 
leave it to the SEC, man. You know, they, <laughs> they go first. And uh, so what was the question exactly? The exact question was, going to get the question out of the way early, does the Will Muschamp firing change anything a whit Babcock's office with respect to Coach Fu's future? I will say in general it makes it more permissible around the country to consider getting rid of your coach because now somebody's done it. It does. Do they still have the same athletic director at South Carolina? Like the old baseball coach? I don't even know who their athletic director is. I think it was, was it Ray Tanner? He was their longtime baseball coach. They made him AD, and he's the one who hired Muschamp. Having his punching keys. Hugh Freeze, baby. I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. Well, he just signed a contract extension last week through 2026. Uh, Ray Tanner? (laughs) Ray Tanner, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's their old baseball coach who was made athletic. Hugh Freeze, director. baby. So, but but I'm pretty sure he's the one who hired Muschamp. So, like, this guy has not shown he has not shown the ability that he knows anything about football. So, I don't think Muschamp is a good coach. I also don't know that that like this year is the year to fire him or anybody because for all the reasons we talked about earlier, right? Um, now that being said. You, you can compare the South Carolina job to the Virginia Tech job. And, like, South Carolina has more money. They have more fans. They're in a better recruiting region. All that's to their advantage. But they're also in the SEC East, and they have no chance to win it. So, you, if, if you go there as a head coach, you go there to try and win eight games and then move on to a better job. That's the reason to take the South Carolina job. Well, and know, the Hugh, Hugh Freeze fits that profile. You know, he can coach in the SEC. He can coach in the SEC, sure. Um, I, I I don't know whether that makes Witt's decision easier or harder. I don't know if it has anything to do with it. I, I do know that if I was a coach and whatever school came after me is their head coach this year, and I didn't know whether it was going to be spring practice or not, and let's say they offered me a five-year contract, I would say I want a six-year contract. I want an extra year because I don't know if we're going to be able to practice this spring. That, that, that's, I think that's what I would say if I was a prospective head coach. I'd be like, look, this first year might be a throwaway year because I'm trying to change systems, and then I'm not going to actually have a chance to practice the system. I can't be held accountable for year one. Therefore, I demand an extra year on the end of my contract. That's what I'd be saying Yeah, if but I was if you're coaching coach. in the SEC, man. I want you Chris know. Coleman as my agent. <laughs> um, a couple other comments. Luke Hamley writes in, can't, can't keep using no spring practice as an excuse. You know, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on. That. I appreciate the comment, Luke. Well, you know, because I, I think spring practice is very important to development. I think that that is a you know across the country, right? Well, Brandon Patterson is a very smart football mind, and he pointed out that that teams that are most compromised by missing spring practice are those that change coordinators and or head coaches. A lot of teams, you know, we, we've talked about this. LSU, I think you mentioned earlier in the podcast, they they changed defensive coordinators and rolled out there and got smoked a few times and. So, you can't use it as an excuse for losing to Liberty. From from and and you can't ex- use it as an excuse for bad decision making within a game, right? <laughs> you know, you, is really is missing spring practice your excuse for not scoring any points in the last five possessions? Eh, you know, maybe because okay. Hendon Hooker didn't get a chance to develop. Yeah, yeah. But, but I don't know if he would have been developed anyway. Yeah, it's um, uh, my my bigger issue, of course, with the program is is. Not everybody looks exactly how they should look, or yeah, yeah. or or questionable decisions, questionable medical decisions, yeah. things like that. 
Yeah. Question from Robert. Do you expect any AD announcements regarding football or athletics overall after the BOV meeting occurring yesterday and today? Uh, announcements? I, I think when I think when I interviewed Witt a few weeks back, about a month ago, that he made a reference to late this year, early next year for the capital campaign announcement, which was supposed to happen at the last spring game. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think uh, any sort of announcement is imminent. I think you'll hear message board traffic about things. I don't think an announcement is imminent, but I do think you'll hear something at the end of the year or the beginning of next year. I, I think a, a timing right now when you've lost three or four, you've lost a Liberty. I think the timing will be poor because you announce it on Twitter and all the responses would be fire, fire Fuente, Fuente, Fire Fuente, right, Fire right, Fuente. Right. So I think you let the season end. You let, let people calm down a little bit. And so then, And then you announce it. Or like if something crazy happens and you do change head coaches, you know, you accompany the announcement of a hiring of a new coach with all of this. Here's like, our plan. Here, here's our plan. Uh, here's exactly how much money we're going to spend on support staff. You let the whole fan base know your future intentions of your program, how much you're spending, exactly what you're going to do. Finally, can we see some pictures of the student athlete nutrition center yeah, in the weight room, things yeah. like that. You know. So uh, another piece of advice I would give Whit Babcock is when, when rolling out this $50 million capital campaign for Castle Coliseum and clearly some other football things, I would um, emphasize how is the Castle renovation going to benefit the football program if it is? Mm-hmm. You know, it's possible that the $50 million reno will include all the stuff we hear about on the lot one side of Castle, larger concourses, some sort of luxury bots, et cetera, et cetera. You going to do anything over on the Jamerson side to help out the football program that's part of that $50 million? Um, we criticize because we don't know. Yeah, we, we're not being told anything, you know. So if, so if that's part of the Castle reno, make that clear. Yeah. Uh, a couple more questions. Evan Norris writes, how do you see the Virginia Tech recruiting staff responding to a Penn State 0-4 start for Virginia recruiting and with a recruiting dead zone ranging until April now? Is it until April now? I did not know that. I thought it was through January. If that is through April, that is news oh, to me. For Pete's <laughs> sake. Well, so there we go. Like, I don't think we're going to have spring practice. Again, mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't know. I thought it was through January. I, I, I thought it I'm, was. I, I thought it was through January too. It's possible that I missed it, but uh, I, I don't know. But how do you respond if you're Virginia Tech? Quite frankly, there is no response. Uh, you can try, but it doesn't matter. I mean, Tech is four and four, and the percept national perception is that the program's getting worse. Recruiting's not going great anyway. Um, Recruits get on Twitter and see the fans trashing the program. Like, uh, like uh, we all know how this is going to end. It's just a matter of when. Well, it did opinion. get it over the weekend. It got it moved to April 15th, according to Evan Norris and Jeremiah Davis chiming into the, in the so, chat. So, hmm. um, so anyway, uh, you, you negative recruit Penn State. You say, look at all these, look at all these recruits James Franklin is, is bringing in, and they're 0-4. Something's wrong with that program. But in the end, they have better facilities, better history, and that dude is one hell of a salesman. They have enough talent in their program to win 10 games next year. Florida Get State, the right quarterback. Florida State, all those teams that we, we, we made fun of earlier, we talked about earlier. Florida State, yes, even Florida State is about bad as they've been. Florida State, Tennessee, maybe not Tennessee, but like Penn State, Florida State, programs like that, they're awful right now, but they also – have the talent to win 10 games next year if everything falls together. Yeah. Like, I don't think Tech does. Like Tech is better right now than those teams, 
but still their ceiling is is nowhere near as high. Right. Yeah. You know, last thing too, you know, we've you know talked about the coaching staff today. William Burr writes in, why are Hokie fans so negative and always want Coach Fuente or the OC fired every week we lose, even when it's close. And as soon as we win a game, even even when it's close, no one says anything. Evan chimes in, I'm really excited to see how well this defense system works when our twenty slash twenty one guys get in there. So, you know, I, I you know, I don't really know if there's a answer to that but i just you know in the chat i mean it's you know a lot of different opinions in the chat today uh, you know i mean tech tech won a lot of games for a long time uh and i think it's natural uh you, you know cornelson caught the heat before fuente ever did um rightly or wrongly I, I said my piece on him earlier i think he's a good enough offensive coordinator but not a good enough quarterback developer if he was a good enough quarterback developer i don't think we'd be complaining about his offensive coordinating that, that that's that's my personal opinion hmm. um hmm. i also think you know tech fans are you were just kind of used to complaining about the offensive coordinator because we've been doing it for 20 years right <laughs> so i think that i think that's part of it um i i don't know like i don't pay attention to other fan bases so i don't know if tech fans are, are more or less negative than, than other fan bases yeah, I, I don't know I, I do know I don't know. I've got some friends from college, and sometimes there's a, there's a group text thing going on, and 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 I love them to death. Don't get me wrong, but they're the type that you never hear from them unless Virginia Tech's losing a football game, right? People tend to get and, more vocal when they're angry, right? Yeah. Right. And I finally had to tell them earlier this year. I was like, guys, if you're only going to talk to me about football when Virginia Tech loses, then just don't talk to me. Yeah. And I hated to say it. But I don't even—I don't even know if they thought I was serious. But uh, but but uh, but I don't know if that's—I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if Virginia Tech is more or less negative than other schools because I don't pay attention to other fan bases. But uh, well, well, Frank Frank laid some eggs, you know. Lost to Miami of Ohio in 1997. Lost to Temple in 1998. Lost to JMU in 2010. Mm-hmm. But but they they always bounced back from that. Sometimes well, in that exact same season. Right. Well, and the thing is, like. When Virginia Tech lost to Temple, I mean, I remember where I was when I found out. I was a family reunion in Salisbury, North Carolina. We're in a restaurant getting barbecue, of course, as you would in southern North Carolina. And I see the score go across the bottom line, and I'm like, that can't be accurate. That's a that's a misprint. And I drag, get back to Virginia, and turns out it's true, right? But I was like, huh, how about that? But I knew there was nothing wrong with the program. They just had a bad day. Yeah. Uh, historically, once a generation, really, really, really bad day. <laughs> but there was nothing in there was nothing indicative that there was anything wrong with the program. Right. Right. So it's like I, I it didn't like losing individual mi- micro football games don't don't bother me. Like I don't like losing the Liberty. Don't get me wrong, but I look at losses like that and I I, I, I and I think. Do we lose because we had a bad day, or is there something wrong with the program? And and I think people get the sense that there's something wrong with the program yeah. now, as opposed to oh, we just had a bad day. Because there's now one of these per season: ODU and ODU was a bad football team that right, year, right? Right. Um, and then Duke and Duke was a bad football team. Yeah, Duke did not make a bowl game last year. I don't think. Oh, they, yeah. they were horrible down the stretch until, of course, they played Miami. And Miami had packed it right, in so they point. beat Virginia Tech and then tanked and then beat Miami. Yeah, but real quick, I want to make sure we get this right. CBS Sports Dennis Dodd is reporting that the NCAA dead period, which has been in place since March because of the coronavirus pandemic, will be extended through April fifteenth, twenty twenty one. Dodd said the NCAA Council is expected to approve the move 
and it's meeting November 18th. So a it's not year. official uh, yet. So over a year. A year over of a year. kids not being recruited. Not not being able to visit, and you, and you can't visit them. Now, I will say this. I, I know for a fact that I know of one story where a certain coaching staff went in home with a recruit back in the late spring. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say where it was or what recruit or which staff. It was not a Power 5 Not a staff. Power 5 program. Yeah. Uh, so that, stu- that stuff is going on. Um, it's one of those things, though, if you get caught doing that, like you, you're better off buying a recruit for $250,000 than you are walk- getting caught walking into his home because people will shame you. Yeah, the court, of pub- the court of public opinion will not be kind to you. Uh, right. And, and, and mm, this is just another case. <laughs> Of the NCAA just making decisions and pushing all the damage down to the schools. All right, a couple of comments. Luke Hamley says, Salisbury, North Carolina is a great place. Eric Fisher says he blames Greg Roberts for the Temple game. He said pregame he would eat his tie if we lost. Did he eat it? <laughs> and hard to eat. Um, Jim Pennington writes, TSL needs Spurtle as a sponsor. There you have it. I think Very lively I YouTube mean, chat today. Lucinda's probably blown her entire advertising budget on that. So I think I read that uh, you see all those tax shaver and Spurtle commercials and that they are – those are those are commercials that are purchased at a very low rate and are backfill. And then you try to sell more expensive ads on top of them and not show them. Uh-huh. And the reason you're seeing so many of those is that the ACC network has not been able to sell better, more expensive ads. And why do you think that is? I wonder why. Um, oh, gosh. That, that's a topic of a whole separate podcast. Yeah. You know, we are an hour and 18 minutes in. So, uh, as always, my final question of the day is to Chris Coleman, our managing editor. Uh, what's a normal leak week? For those who have never listened to a TSL podcast before, what can they expect on TechSideline.com? Gosh, well, I'm going to start researching my Inside the Numbers article. So uh, so first thing is, is after we produce the podcast, I sit down and wrap up my Monday, Monday thoughts. thoughts. I'm going to start researching Inside the Numbers. There will be press conferences today, so Corey and Jake will have articles later today. There will be press conference tomorrow, so there will be a couple articles from, mm-hmm. articles from Corey and Jake Yeah, tomorrow. for people that don't know, Fuente goes on Monday and players, players go on Tuesday. Yeah, and uh, let's see. Brandon Patterson will do his review either Tuesday or Wednesday. My Inside the Numbers will be either Tuesday and Wednesday. Game preview. Game preview podcast on Thursday. Thursday. A uh, couple of Jason Stame articles later in the week. A Corey He's Van Dyke article guy. on Friday. A Friday Q&A. And, a Brand, and Brandon out. Patterson, and Brandon scouting, Patterson report. scouting report. Yeah. Now we don't know how the pit game is going to affect that. Now let's be clear. We've heard there's a chance the pit game could get canceled. Yeah. Pitt's program was shut down. They didn't play Georgia tech over the weekend. Virginia tech might not play Pitt this coming weekend. Virginia tech might be off two weeks in a row. We don't know if or when that will be announced. It'll probably be announced as soon as we finish the podcast on Thursday, previewing the pit game. Yeah, we'll do yeah, all that, our that, work. And... Yeah, that, that that would that would make the most sense. Um, but if somehow like the game, the pit game gets canceled on Wednesday, then we'll probably just do the basketball a basketball preview for Thursday's podcast. There you have it. That's coming up on TextOnline.com this week. And uh, let's you know let's end the podcast on a light note. I was going through Twitter to see if there's been any news or anything from the press conference. Nothing yet, but. Um, you guys know Coastal Carolina is undefeated, having a great season mm-hmm. in football, right? They're in the top 15. They were in FCS school a couple of years ago, the, the Chanticleers. So there is a gentleman by the name of Scott Eisberg on Twitter. He's a sports director in Charleston, South Carolina for a TV station. And he reached out to Jamie Chadwell, who's the coach at South Carolina, about the head coaching vacancy. And wait, wait a minute, Jamie Chadwell is? is the head coach at Coastal, oh, Coastal Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. So he's okay. reaching out about the, the vacancy at South Carolina, trying to get a statement. 
And Coach Chadwell texts back, quote, Right now my wife's fan has a brake light out. I'm focused on trying to fix it without getting her upset. I've got bigger issues to worry about with the big smiley face. Well, see, if, if you, I, I absolutely love that. I think that's just very like If you've got a bigger staff. Then you could have a staff member take care of that, right? That's Poor right. Coastal Carolina. That was just that was a screenshot of the text too. So, anyways, I thought that That's was hilarious. just a lighthearted way to uh, to close the podcast today. All right, Will. Any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, no, I don't really think I have anything to add. Um, appreciate everybody who subscribes, and if you don't subscribe, uh, eight forty nine a month, give it a shot for a month, and if you don't think it's worth it. Even if they're losing football games, if you don't think it's worth it, I'll give you your eight and a half bucks back, and you, you can go get a combo meal. Or two Wendy's for before full fours. That's whew, <laughs> man, that's a good deal right there. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for us here on episode 151 of the Text Online Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please be sure to hit the like button and also hit subscribe as well. We appreciate those that chimed in the YouTube chat today. All right, for our managing editor, he is Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 151 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you on Thursday.